Good morning, Restoration Church. It is really good to be here. My name is Nate, and I'm the lead pastor here. And welcome to everybody who's here with us in Dover, to everybody at Plymouth and Milton, and everybody who's joining us online. I am excited to be in week two of this series. And I wasn't obviously in service last week, but uh, but was joining in online as I was traveling. And uh, Pastor Andrew did a great job leading off us, leading us off on this series. Now, worship night is tonight, and I do hope that we'll get a chance to hang out together. These are very, very special moments, and it's been two years now since our first worship night at the Milton location, and it's amazing to look back and say, wow, that was two years ago, um, and uh, just everything that God has done over these last two years. One thing, man, one thing that I, one thing that I know about God is he is faithful. It says in scripture, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, and we can forget that. We go through these moments and these trials and these problems and we think, God, you have abandoned me. You have left me out to dry. Don't ever believe that lie. He never leaves you. And even if the circumstance around us is treacherous, even if it's terrible, even if we're going to lose our own life, he, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And we, have, we just have to trust him so deeply that, and to know that no matter what we walk through, he'll walk through it with us. And no matter what we walk through, he is going to use it for his glory. Be encouraged with that this morning because I'm not preaching on that. I just want to remind you he's faithful. And that's part of what we're going to be singing and worshiping tonight. Um, I encourage you to bring your kids. It's, it's a great thing for them to see you worship, for you to see them worship, for them to see others, uh, other kids in church and, and other people in church worship. And these worship nights, we really, um, we have a suggested stop time, but we just try to, as a church family, focus in on each other, pray for each other, worship together, and let God move in our midst. It's going to be amazing. Well, listen, let me ask you a question. What can God do? What can he do? At Restoration Church... You know, different churches believe different things, but, but we believe that God is powerful. We believe that he's active, that he's, a re- that he's real, that he is alive, that he, that he is a God of miracles and the God of power. We've seen him do miracles. We believe that he'll do miracles. We believe in divine healings where, where God from heaven does something to us, brings a healing in our body, and we've even seen that happen in our church. We believe in spiritual gifts and and God using different people in those gifts to move his kingdom forward. We believe even in things like deliverance. God can do the impossible. One of our core values at Restoration Church says that. One of our core values is our God is able. 
And if you think about any complex problem, any difficulty, even any, any uh, just amazing endeavor that you're going to go after, and you just begin to wonder, you know, can God do that? And we always are going to remind ourselves, we are always going to remind ourselves, our God is able. Our kingdom builders for this year, it is more than we've ever done. Can we do it? Well, we know our God is able. Easter services coming up, we're praying to reach more people on Easter Sunday than we ever have on any Easter Sunday in our church's history. Can we do it? Well, we believe that our God is able. The miracles in your life, would you come forward for prayer tonight? Or if you've come forward for prayer, uh, even in the, in the church lobbies and say, hey, pastors, will you pray for me? Can, can you be healed? Can God do the miracle in your life? Well, we believe our God is able. It is a value, a core value that, that, um, that directs us and guides us in any decision and even in any prayer. We don't pray pitiful, fearful, kind of pathetic prayers where we're begging God um, like, you're, like you're begging your employer, hey, I just really need this. I have a lot of problems. Just please, if you could just, if you look at my, if you look at all the good things I've done, if you, if you could just consider me. We don't pray either to a weak, pathetic God where we are asking him to do something, but really we don't even think he can. We think he is just too weak. Maybe there's darkness in our life and we think God's not bigger than that darkness. Maybe we need a miracle in our, in our life where we think God's not bigger than that sickness. And so we pray to God, but really we're thinking of him as the underdog in the fight. Maybe he'll get lucky And maybe we'll get lucky. Listen, this is not the God who we serve, the God who we love, the God who we worship. Our God is greater than all other gods. Our God is greater than all other things. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He has all authority in heaven and earth. There is not another that even compares close to him. It is him and him alone. Even believing that as a pastor, and even so many of you believing similarly that our God is able, our God is powerful, even after believing that, even after seeing miracles in our church and in our friends, I can sometimes question, and maybe you do as well, all right, I believe that God can, but will he do this? I believe God can do it, but will he do it? And that question, it almost sabotages us. It paralyzes us. It keeps us from going after what God has because though intellectually we know he's able to do it, we just think practically it's not going to happen. And so think about it like this. You know intellectually that you could learn Latin. You know, like I'm pretty sure I could go and I could, I could learn Latin, but you're like, but could I actually learn, you know, I could learn Spanish, I could learn French, I could learn Mandarin Chinese, but could I actually? And so you think intellectually, yeah, you really could, but 
But in actuality, you think it's really too hard, it's too difficult, it's too impossible. So you would never take the step to take those lessons. And when we think that God is able to, but we don't think he actually will, we don't even pray to him. We don't even try. We don't even pursue the miracle. We give up on it because we just determine God won't. Last week, one of the reasons I wasn't here at service is because um, I went with my older brother dirt biking in the mountains of West Virginia. And it was very treacherous, very scary. (laughs) Uh, True story. At one point, I accidentally threw my dirt bike off off a mountain. And uh, let's share that story for another sermon. But midday on Friday, I ended up hurting my back. And so this is like middle of the trip. I still get another day and a half of riding. I hurt my back. And so it just hurt. We just rode and hurt. And on Monday and Tuesday of, of this past week, uh, I was in a meeting in Portland, Maine. So a bunch of other pastors in meetings all day, sitting in the chair. And every time we broke for the meeting and I stood up, I mean, it was a very slow, creaky journey to the upright position. And then a few very slow, soft steps till I got momentum. And then I would continue down the hallway. So everybody knows I'm in pain. Everybody feels bad for me. Everybody's like, you are old. You know that, right? And, and uh, so I, anyway, the two days of meeting, the meetings are over. And one of the guys, one of the pastors says, hey, Nate, has anybody prayed for you? I said, no, no one has. He's like, come over here. So I thought this. Same thing in this message, like, it's a hurt back, I don't know that God's actually going to heal my hurt back, I mean, it was my dehydration and my old age, I don't think God's going to heal my back, and, and that's immediately, the, my thought was not, all right, here we go, God of miracles is going to touch my back, and I'm going to go parasailing at Hampton Beach over the weekend, like, that's not what I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I don't know that God's really interested in healing my back right now. And this is where we end up being. So if you're like, God, I want you to do a miracle in my life. And then the prayer team says, if you need prayer, come forward. And you're like, I just don't, I just don't want to bother God. And sometimes we're fearful of God's response. What am I going to do if God doesn't answer? And so we don't ever pursue him. We're like the middle school boy at the dance. If I go ask that girl... To dance with me and she says no what would I do so I'm going to spend the rest of my life without a dance partner and we've got to stop thinking what will I do if he doesn't and begin to think what will I do if he does if I go ask that girl to dance with me and she says yes what will I do regret never having taken dance lessons what will I do if I come forward and God answers the prayer I'm praying If we believe he actually can, then we shouldn't be concerned if he actually will. We trust him and we leave the results up to him. Did God heal my back? I mean, I'm standing here now, so it depends on your definition of healing. Was there instantaneous relief of pain in that moment when that pastor prayed for me? No. Did that cause me to reject God? Absolutely not. I 
trust him with whatever results happen in my life. So let me ask you, let me let's think about this, all right? Um, as we talk about Gideon, this is a little bit of the circumstance we find Gideon. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Judges chapter 6. And Pastor Andrew talked through the, the story of him, but let me do a recap in case you weren't, in case it's your first time here today. Um, God, uh, Gideon has taken his first steps into trusting and following God. He's obviously a believer in God, but he's not someone who's actively listening to God and doing what God wants until God interrupts his life. God has given him an assignment that is bigger than his credentials. He shows up and says, hey, you, no name, except God knows his name. But that's Gideon's self-identification. I'm, I'm a nobody. Hey, you, I've got this assignment for you. He's there threshing wheat, which is a low-level job. And God says, hey, mighty warrior, you're going to lead my army. And he's like, Mah. hey, God, I, let me show you my resume. It's blank. Let me show you of all the battles I've won. Let me show you of my victories. Let me show you my nunchuck skills. I have none, God. I'm threshing wheat. I'm just, I take wheat, I throw it up in the ground, and then the wind does the work. I just throw it up. You've got the wrong guy. But God gives him an assignment that's much bigger than his credentials, and I tell you what, he does that for us as well. Imagine this, you're a nail technician, you spend your mornings and your days giving pedicures and manicures, and one day God shows up and says, hey, mighty warrior, you're going to be the next UFC champion. You're going to do it. You're going to bring fame to my name by defeating every, I mean, I don't know who, Brock Lesnar, I don't know who's even in the game anymore. You're going to defeat them, and you're like, God, me? I weigh 110 pounds. I have asthma. My last name is Wiener. I think you've got the wrong guy. This is what Gideon's doing. God, I'm the lowest of the low. My clan's the lowest. I'm the lowest in my clan. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm, I am not the guy, God. And this is where we're at. Gideon, he lists all his credentials and God calls you, he gives you your assignment. It's not wrong to say, hey God, I just want to make you aware Moses did it. Hey, you're going to speak on behalf of Moses like, hey, God, I got a stuttering problem. And it's not a problem to, to tell God the reasons why he shouldn't pick you. But Gideon then still listens to God. Mary, birth mother of Jesus, God says, hey, you're going to deliver my son. And she says, oh, but I'm a virgin. Here's my credentials. And he said, oh, I am going to do a miracle in your womb. And she says, all right, I will do what you tell me to do. 
When God calls and you begin to list him some of the objections, you think story's over. And I told God I can't do it. And that would be a mistake. Still pursue God. So Gideon still obeys. And so last week, Pastor Andy told you that he went and, and in the cover of darkness, he went and tore down the altar to the false god Baal. He did that in the middle of the night. And now in this next part, passage that we're going to read, starting at verse number 33, he's taking this, another, this an, uh, another moment to trust in God. God has said, mighty warrior, you're going to rescue Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Here's step number one, tear down this altar. And then Gideon begins to take and move into step number two. So Judges chapter six, start reading at verse number 33. It says, soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. So stop right there. Midian just got bigger. Midian just got stronger. And now they are moving their combined armies into the Israelite territory. Bad news. Very, very bad. It says, then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Ebiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded, which is a pretty big deal. Then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. And he goes through a, a, a series of tests with God. He says, I'll put fleece on the fleshing, threshing floor tonight if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry. I will know you're going to help me rescue Israel as promised. And that is just what happened. Gideon got up the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung it out, uh, and a whole bowl of water was filled. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry, but the ground around it was wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Real quickly, this passage of scripture, what happened? Number one, the enemy assembled. Second thing, God empowered Gideon. Third thing, Gideon recruits an army. Fourth thing, Gideon prays. Fifth thing, fifth thing, Gideon prays again. It's the timeline, the sequence of events in that short passage that we just read. Let's look through this about what he did, knowing that Maybe he's believing that God can. Maybe he's not really believing that God can do it through him. What does he do? The first thing that we read about is the call to arms. Gideon, he's not really confident that God is going to use him. He's still thinking that somehow there's been a clerical error in heaven and God showed up to the wrong person. He's going to show up one of these mornings and say, hey, why did you tell me you were the Gideon who, who has no fighting credentials and he was not a warrior? And Gideon would be like, I did tell you, tell you that. I told you that the very first sentence. Like, sorry, we were confused. We meant the other Gideon. So 
go back to your threshing wheat. Uh, sorry to have bothered you. Even though he's not confident that God is going to actually use him, that maybe God is to make a mistake, it doesn't stop Gideon from preparing. He, he takes that horn and he begins to recruit an army. Now, let me say this about ourselves and about where we are. You have to be prepared to receive a miracle. When God says that he's going to do something, you have to be prepared for when that door opens. If God tells you, hey, I'm going to do this in the future, you then have to prepare yourself to be ready for when he opens that door. It doesn't happen in the reverse order. You don't start preparing after he comes through. So God, Gideon, God has told Gideon, you're going to lead an army. You're going to rescue Israel. So what does he do? Well, I need an army. So he begins to recruit from warriors from all of these tribes and gets them together. Because if God says, wakes him up and says, hey, the time's now, go fight. He's like, it's just me. Hold on, God. I have to get an army. He's prepared in advance. God, if you're going to tell me to do something in, in the future, then I'm going to be ready for the moment you tell me to speak. I remember when, when I was in, in college, uh, in Bible college, and there was, another, uh, there was another student from the church who wanted to go into ministry as well. And she begin to communicate, like, hey, everybody pray for me. I want to go to Bible college. I feel God wants me to go in ministry, but I can't afford it. And so just pray that I get the money to go to Bible college. And so we all started praying with her, praying for her, praying with her. And I'll never forget that summer in between, you know, it was like springtime. She was feeling, I want to go to Bible college, but I don't know how to afford it. And then hoping to enroll in the fall. Well, that summer she bought a brand new car. And I began to think like, does this make any sense? If you can't afford to go to Bible college, why would you buy a car and get a car payment and the, the, the increased insurance costs and everything if you want to go to Bible college? And it's kind of the same idea. I know that God's calling me to do something, but I don't actually believe that he'll provide for me to do it. So I'm just going to make a decision according to what's best for me. Was she, did she ever go to Bible? She never was able to... Um, she, she eventually did go. She didn't finish a year and never went back. So if it was God calling her to do it, what should she have done? She should have continued to prepare, working hard, saving up money, not getting a car loan, selling everything she has, trying to say, God, I'm going to do everything I can in the natural, believing that you're going to add the super to that. You're going to do the supernatural and make a way for me to go to school. If you're feeling called to be a missionary, what should you do? You shouldn't go get a bigger house. You shouldn't go get a, a newer car. You should begin to liquidate. You should begin to live minimalist. Begin to get things ready, freeing yourselves from the hindrance of this culture, from this land, so that when God says, hey, time to go, you're able to then go. A principle that just popped into my mind from scripture is when... Um, uh, when they speak to Jesus and they say, hey, will you let me go take care of things at home first? 
and then I'll come follow you. And I'm combining, I think, two different stories, but, uh, but there's one, and I should Google it on my phone right now in the middle of my sermon, but uh, where he says, let the dead bury the dead. And he's saying, listen, I've called you now. There was a time to take care of the things to get ready, but the time to move forward is now. And so preparation, we take care of preparation on the front end. So when God says, all right, now's the time, we get up and we're ready and we're able to go. So other thing about this, Mark 16, 17, principle to understand, where it says signs and wonders follow those who believe. There's a preparation that happens first and the miracles happen secondly. There's nothing wrong with what Gideon did praying and trying to get confirmation and make sure he's hearing and listening from God. He's hearing God's plan. The wrongness is in not doing anything. For him to stay in this perpetual place of asking for another confirmation after another confirmation after another confirmation after another confirmation, the wrong this is in doing that. And we can get stuck in that place where we keep asking God to confirm. And every time he confirms, we do nothing with it. We just say, show me again, Lord. Prove it again, Lord. One more time and another time and in a different way. And we can get stuck there never doing anything. The, if you even have an inkling a smallest hint that he might want you to do something, start preparing immediately. God says, Gideon, mighty warrior, you're going to need an army. Gideon's like, I better go buy a horn. And we see here that what does he do? He blows the horn and begins to assemble the army. If I'm going to get an army, I need, I need a horn. Begin to do even the lightest, the smallest things in order to get ready for what God has told you to do. Preparation is never wasted in the kingdom of God. So if you think, you know, if you begin to think that God wants you to do something, you begin to prepare for it. And then he shifts it or he reveals more. And he doesn't actually want you to do that. He wants you to do something else. You have not wasted anything in that preparation. We can think that, that, that we've wasted our time getting ready for something that God wants us to do something different. He uses all of our different skills according to his purposes. So Gideon, part of his preparation, he assembles 32,000 men in this moment. We'll begin to see that was way more people than God wanted him to have. We'll talk more about that next week. But he's got 32,000 men. He says, God, I'm prepared. He's like, you've overprepared, actually. Uh, but, but none of that is wasted. It wasn't wasted. God used all of that to bring him continual lessons and to bring him to the place that he wanted him. So we can be worried. I'm waste, what if I'm wasting my time? You're not wasting your time if you're trying to pursue God. Get that. Understand that. Capture that. You are not wasting your time when you're trying to pursue God. The only time wasted is time that's actually wasted doing nothing. Just wondering. So let's continue uh, jumping through this. The next part is the question of calling. 
And so Gideon's called. He's still questioning it. He's still not quite sure. I think the miracle of 32,000 warriors saying, hey, Gideon, you'll be our leader, would have been confirmation enough for me to say, all right, God, I think you're in this. If me, the no-name guy, blew a trumpet and 32,000 warriors show up, I'm going to take that as a sign. Knowing the ark, he builds an ark, all of a sudden, two of every animal show up at his house. I'm going to take that as a sign. You don't see Noah, then God, I'm going to lay out a fleece, a couple of live sheep. If these sheep are wet in the morning, then I'll know, God, you want me to put them in the ark. I know that there's varieties of every animal here, but God, one more time, if the sheep are dry in the morning, then we'll put them on the ark. We'll know he didn't need it. And so 32,000 warriors show up. I'm going to take that as confirmation, but he's still questioning. He can get kind of flack for this. We could joke about him, but, but honestly, some of it is, is a self-doubt problem, but some of it is, God, I want to know from you what you're calling me to do. I can rush ahead and go start a war, but I want to know that you're in this and that I'm hearing clearly from what you're telling me to do. The positive side of this is that he cares deeply about making sure that he's hearing the voice of God. He's still preparing. So he's not inactive. He's still doing things. But he's trying to make sure he's hearing clearly before he takes that one final giant no turning back step of faith. In 10th grade, I prayed this prayer, boldest prayer I've ever prayed at this point in my life. I mean, it was a bold prayer. I said, God, if you want me to marry that girl, I'm in 10th grade, she's in 11th grade, we're in driver's ed together. I said, God, if you want me to marry that girl, have her ask me to the prom. I mean, I'll know it's you because I'm fat. <laughs> Because I'm in 10th grade. I'll know it's you, God. I said, wouldn't you know it? I'll never forget. I'm walking down the hallway. We're, we're, it was like either after driver's ed or before driver's ed. We're walking, to the, we're walking either to our cars. I mean, neither of us had a car. We're in driver's ed. We're walking somewhere. And in the hallway, she says, hey, I was wondering if you'd go to the prom with me. 10th grader? I used to walk down the hallway with my friends and, and Tyler used to yell nerd herd at us. And here I am, this, 10th, this 11th grade girl's asking me to the junior prom. This shouldn't be happening. God, this is a, you are a wonder working God. God, you've just showed me at 15 and a half years old who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And I said, yeah, that girl didn't know what she was in for. She just met the man of her dreams. And so I knew, I said, yeah, I'll go to the prom with you. And then we go to prom. I ask her to be my girlfriend. And I just think, this is perfect. This is the rest of my life. And, um, and, uh, and it seemed improbable. But the question we can ask is, all right, I feel like God's spoken. How do I know? How do I confirm that this is actually his word? Well, the first thing we do if we feel like we've heard from God, is we then look at the written word of God. And those two things need to line up. And after a few months of this very nice girl being my girlfriend, we broke up. Why? Because I discovered after a few months, 
honestly, she wasn't a follower of Jesus. She carried the name title. She carried the title Christian. She even taught Sunday school at her church, but she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. This is a big deal. And the written word says, do not be unequally yoked. That's in business partnerships and in relationship partnerships. And so I just begin to realize now we're both 16. God, I thought I heard you. I asked this bold prayer. And, but now I'm realizing your word says I'm not to be unequally yoked. What do I do? Obedience to the written word is always first. It's always first. If we think God has spoken to us and in his word, it is, it, it is spoken the opposite. We yield to, to his word. So our relationship politely ended. There was no drama. There was no gossiping. And it was just over. Because the written word said something different. If you've been given and you've heard a word from God, he's spoken it to your heart or, or even spoken it audibly to you. Anytime you're trying to fight or for, force a word from God, so if you come to me as a pastor and say, hey, I've got a word of God for you as the church. And then I say, hey, th- hey, thanks. And you're like, what are you gonna do about it? I'm not gonna do anything about it. No, here's what you need to do about it. Now you're in error. Anytime that you've received a word from God and you're demanding that someone else respond to that, then you've begun to manipulate. So if, if you go to your spouse and you say, God told me we need, to, we need to sell the house and move, and your spouse says, I don't feel that. And then you begin to then, no, God told me you need to do, you don't have a choice. You can't, there's not a vote. God said, we're going to sell the house and move. Or we're going to get another cat. Or we're going to, you, you've begun to manipulate. So what happens is if God does speak something to you and, and, and so there's not a clear word against it. I just feel like we need to be missionaries. Well, I don't feel that. Well, then we need to keep praying that God will either speak to me and show me what I'm misunderstanding or he'll speak to you and show you what he wants us to do. We need to be in alignment. I'm not going to force you and you're not going to withhold me, but we're going we're gonna to pursue God till one of us has clarity and we're not going to stop pursuing him till we agree on this step in this direction. Last thing here, so the bank can come up, it is having confidence of calling. Remember last week, Pastor Andrew, where was Gideon when we were introduced to him? He's in a wine press threshing wheat. Wrong place, wrong tool, doing the job the wrong way. Why was he doing it? Why was he in a wine press where you're supposed to be processing grapes, why was he harvesting wheat, excuse me, there? Because he was afraid of the Midianites. He's doing it inside of a building. He's doing it in a hidden area because he's afraid of the Midianites coming and stealing his wheat. Well, in this passage, 
Where does he place the fleece down on the ground? He places it down on the threshing floor. This is the place he should have been threshing wheat, but he wasn't. He was too afraid. But now here he was laying his fleece down. And there's this idea here that he was afraid of the threshing floor. He was afraid to go there. He was afraid of being bullied and taken advantage of by the Midianites. But now he's going there. Now he's praying there. And what we see is that Gideon has grown. What we see is that his confidence in God has increased. This is not his confidence in himself. But this is his confidence in his God. Gideon is asking God for favor in the very place he was avoiding before. It seems like maybe it's a no big deal, but this is a big deal. It's a big step to be able to come out and live and activate and pray. It reminds me of one of the lines we sang this morning. It says, your victory claims the ground that the enemy had. The Midianites had that threshing floor ground. That's why Gideon was in the wine press. But now... Because he's realizing, wait, God's going to rescue his people? Wait a minute, our God is bigger than the Midianites. Then he's able to come out to the threshing threshing floor and begin to pray. He's now beginning to live out, wait, God, that threshing floor is yours. It's not the Midianites. I can pray there if I want to. Your victory claims the ground that the enemy had. We need to be confident, not just in God, that God can, but confident that God will. We don't need to worry about whether he will or he won't. We just just pursue him. God, your word says, your word says, Knowing that God can is the door to seeing God move. If we believe and know that he can, we'll have the privilege of seeing him move. Let me ask you, what were you afraid of yesterday? Gideon was afraid to thresh wheat at the threshing floor where you're supposed to. He was afraid of doing that. He was afraid of getting bullied, afraid of getting stolen from, afraid of going without. He was afraid, but now he's realizing, wait a minute, my God is bigger than. My God is greater than. Wait a minute, there's anointing on my life. My God says I can. My God says I will. My God says he's going to push back to send me. Wait a minute, why am I using, my wine press should be used for wine. Not for wheat. What were you you afraid of yesterday? What were you afraid to pray yesterday? What were you afraid to believe yesterday? What were you afraid to obey yesterday? What step were you afraid to take yesterday? Listen, grab that horn. Blow that horn. And begin to use your voice to say, God... I can do what you tell me I can do. God, I will do what you say I will do. God, I will be who you say I will be. Use your voice 
to worship the God who says you will use your voice to speak into existence the things that are not yet. Put your confidence in him. Leave the results to him, but proudly proclaim what his word says he will do over your life. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 11 says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. They triumphed over their enemies by the work Jesus did on the cross and by the testimonies they each shared about what Jesus did. We have testimonies to share. When you share about what God has done in your life, it, it empowers someone to do, to believe what God wants to do in their life. God, I don't know if I can overcome an addiction, but, but your word says, Jesus, on your cross, your blood was shed. And Jesus, in my friend's life, you've done it. So I don't know if I can overcome addiction, but I know that you can. So I pray for these bondages to be broken in Jesus' name. God, I don't know if I'm supposed to take this step of faith and change careers, but, but you died for me on that cross and your blood was shed for my salvation. And I feel this burden to do this. I ask for you to speak and I have the testimony of this friend and God I'm going to prepare for the steps you've called me to take God I don't know if this healing will come but your word says you died on the cross for me your word says by your stripes I am healed God your blood shed on the cross was for me and God the testimonies of my friends who were healed I believe God that you heal me God I don't know if I can but I know you will we you close your eyes allow me to pray for you Jesus we give our whole hearts and our whole lives to you you are a mighty God you are a powerful God we worship you Right now, we're going to sing for a moment as we end this time of preaching. And this is our, this is the blowing of our horn. This is our, this is our singing. You, God, are the, are the victor. There's not an enemy that can stand against you. There's not an enemy that can stand against us as we are living out your call and our will. Your call on our life. Jesus, you're great and you are good. And we don't doubt that you are able. And we don't doubt that you will. And we don't doubt that you want to. Jesus, move in our hearts and in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand your feet. Let's sing together.